The two greatest religious populations in the world are first, Christianity, followed by Islam. The third largest religious group is Hinduism. While Hinduism is largely concentrated in the nation of India, it does comprise approximately 15% of the world's religious population. Some senior citizens may remember when the Beatles flirted with Hinduism. So what do Hindus believe? How would a Christian share his or her faith with a Hindu? Hinduism is the subject of discussion on this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, in an earlier Craving God, Craving Answers show, we took time to examine Buddhism. So I ask a question today that I asked in that previous program. Why should a Christian spend time exploring a different religion? There's a lot of reasons. Uh, one is it's fun to learn new things. And uh, I think that's a valid reason on its own. It can be dangerous to learn new things, too. Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah you got to be. I don't think I need to know anything more about meth than I already know. Yeah. You always have to be critical. Uh, every time. You always have to be critical. You have to uh, learn to eat the fish and spit out the bones. But uh, learning new things, um, a lot of fun. Another a good reason would be just uh, if we care about people. Getting to know what people think is an important thing. We live in a culture where um, we, we imagined that if we all agreed that everybody's ideas were equally valid, that would make it a lot easier to discuss ideas. Unfortunately, if you know, if my neighbor's ideas, if my idea is just as equally valid as my neighbor's, I don't really need to listen to him. I've got my own ideas. And so it shut down discourse. Uh, ironically, we, we we're no longer able... We, we're no longer able to have conversations with people about what they think and believe, which is a really valuable skill to, to be a good neighbor and to be a good friend. And so to, to learn about what other people believe is a, a really valuable. Also, there's things that there's things about Hinduism that um, honestly, uh, they help remind me of things that I've drifted away from that are important that it's easy to forget about in my own particular context. And so I think it's worth I think it's worthwhile learning about new religions and and studying them and um, thinking about how they interact with what I believe, which is um, what the Bible teaches, and um, it's about very valuable enterprise. I think. So you've been through the seminary and you have been a pastor now for many years. Your Christianity, your doctrinal beliefs are probably pretty well set. You probably don't feel threatened by any outside religious experiences or types. But not everybody is in that situation. Some people are maybe they're questioning their Christianity. Maybe they were raised in the faith, but um, mostly went because their parents took them to church, and and now it's a little shaky, and so they decide to take a look at Hinduism. Does that make you nervous? What if they? Can I use the word contaminate their Christian uh, context with a couple of cool things from Hinduism? It doesn't make me nervous at all. I uh, so I, I can't remember if I've we've talked about this in here before. I, I've spent quite a long time, although the past year or so I haven't done it. Spent many years teaching comparative religions in our local college, and um, never ever concerned. I, I I taught Hinduism, 
And um, so I'm speaking as a Christian now. I taught Hinduism, and I taught what Hinduism said, and I didn't criticize Hinduism at all. And I quoted from uh, the Vedas, uh, Hindu sacred scriptures. I also taught Christianity and um, didn't criticize it. Uh, read from uh, Christian sacred scriptures, the Old and New Testament of the Christian Bible. And as a Christian, I'm completely convinced that the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to transform people's thoughts and lives. So I don't have any fear at all about um, talking about Hinduism or studying Hinduism. Um, do people study Hinduism and then um, become Hindus? Oh uh, yes, although that's a, this Hinduism is a little bit different than other missionary religions like Buddhism or Islam. But I'm, I'm convinced that if if the Holy Spirit's going to work in somebody's life, that s- study what you want to study. And I, 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 there are there are barriers to that. I, your comment about meth a second ago is a good one. I'm not saying go out and try to experience everything that you can experience, whether it's good or bad. We, we need to be critical. But I'm not worried at all about Christians or people who are having doubts struggling with Hinduism. I think that I think that the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, satisfies our deepest needs. And when people know about him, they'll have their needs satisfied. And I'm not worried about their getting their needs satisfied in other places because I think Jesus does that. Suppose I were to say that, you know what, Hinduism is a false religion. There it is. Some would say that I was guilty of being judgmental. What do you think? I, um, I think calling a religion a false religion is not a good idea, and it has nothing to do with being nice or you know, not being judgmental. Humans were made in God's image, and so human beings, let's say it this way, uh, all truth is God's truth. Are there things about Hinduism that are deeply and profoundly true? Absolutely. And to blow those things off would be a mistake. So I, I don't think that— Can you give me an example of one thing that's—when you say things that there are things that are true, what do you mean? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm also an American, and because of that— my default religion isn't first and foremost Christianity. It was, it's, it's another set of values that we as Americans who are also Christians have managed to kind of squeeze into Christianity. One of these values is materialism, is the belief that um, you know money and things, are that's the name of the game. You get money and you get things, and that's how you, that's how you judge our, your social standing. That's how you judge success in life. Um, that's built on the back of a philosophy that's called materialism, which is not necessarily about getting rich, but basically says the main things in life are physical. In fact, strict philosophical materialism would insist that the spiritual world, it's all of an illusion, that all that exists is what we can sense with our senses. Um, Because of that, as an American, I struggle with that. And Hinduism reminds me, no, there's more than that that there actually is a spiritual world out there that's deeply valuable, that I as a human being am also a spiritual being. Now, should my Christianity, should, should, yeah, that my Christianity holds to that too, but sometimes I forget it. Sometimes as an American Christian, I forget it. And so Hinduism sometimes points me back to this reality and reminds me of who I really am 
and what my goal in life really is. It's not just to accumulate things or to, to, to build up a bank account or to have nicer property, that there's more to life than that, that being spiritually fulfilled is important as well. And like I say, yes, I should get that from my Christianity, but sometimes my Americanism clouds that, and it's 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 easy to forget. Pollsters uh, check on check the pulse of uh, religion in the country every so often, and apparently America is slowly moving away from Christianity. I guess in the direction of secularism. Um, are do you think agnostics or maybe even atheists might be attracted to Hinduism to fill the religious void in in their lives? Yeah. Uh, just first logistical comment. America has not been a Christian country. America has been a secular country since its founding. It's part of the Enlightenment is that now I know a lot of early early founders were Christian. I know that there's been a large Christian influence in the United States, and I know that's what you meant. Uh, this is more just for my own personal clarity of thought and to remind the listeners that America is not losing its Christianity, but it's always been secular and managed to fit a version of Christianity in with that many Americans. I, many Americans also are deeply and intimately Christian. I'm not discounting that as well. Do atheists and agnostics, so that's your question, are they attracted to Hinduism? Uh, and the answer is sometimes yes and sometimes no. Uh, sometimes uh, atheists and agnostics double down on philosophical materialism and sometimes at the most cynical would say all that life is is you know, you're born, um, you spend your life uh, searching for food and for sex, and then you die. And the best life is the one that makes the most of those opportunities of being physically satisfied. And that that's the most cynical forms of materialism. But many people, they they their atheism or agnosticism leads them to, uh, you know, um, pursuing individual freedom over the course of their lives, or like I said earlier, pursuing the the, the gaining of money and goods. However spirituality covered up as long as it has been by the enlightenment that spirituality is all fake, you know, and the real thing is logic and ration in the material world. Um, it's hard to hold that down. It's hard to hold that down, which is why we've seen uh, for the past 50, 60 years an explosion. And it's not getting any less an explosion in uh, spiritualism and weird forms of spirituality where people are rightly tapping into this idea that we're more than just our physical bodies, that there's more to the world than just dirt and sky and wind and mountains and trees, that there's more out there. And there's you know, a lot of us are searching for that. And so, yeah, we have seen uh, agnostics and atheists turn to different versions. And uh, again, becoming a Hindu is not, you, you can't convert, you know, there's not a website where you sign up. Um, Hinduism is different than other religions in that it's directly tied to being Indian and um, becoming a Hindu is a matter of dying, being reborn at higher levels of life the more that you do your dharma and build up good karma and eventually you could become an Indian. And so like Hindus don't ever proselytize because they just encourage people to, to do good deeds and then in their next lives they'll advance up the ladder. So it's a little bit different than talking about other religions. But yeah, people are seeking the kind of thing that Hinduism has to offer, which is um, a powerful spirituality. Um, I, as a Christian, of course, would say that um, 
to, to experience the Holy Spirit is what our hearts are really longing for, to, to experience the reality of the God who calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Hinduism can't get us there, but I do believe that Hinduism rightly points us that it exists. So maybe in my classroom with, with uh, my fellow classmates or maybe on the job or maybe on the golf course, I meet somebody who I become acquainted with, maybe a friend, and I find out, well, this person is a Hindu. So I say, uh, so what do Hindus believe? I'm looking for a nutshell answer here because i got to tee off in five minutes. But what would that sound like? What would that person probably tell me? Uh, it was probably a longer conversation than five minutes. Um, I, Hindus believe that the physical universe is a prison. It's, it's not a denial that, that, that there's beauty in the physical universe or there's pleasure. It's not, it's not, it's not a denial of all that, but that fundamentally the human body and the physical universe is something that we've been trapped by. And the goal of salvation is to uh, do your Dharma, build up your karma. Dharma Dharma is your sacred duty. And it includes things that are common to all religions. Again, ethics are not the main thing about religions for any listeners who are wondering um, we boil in the West, we boil religion down to ethical principles. You know, the Ten Commandments are, uh, you know, doing good to others. The, all religions basically agree on all of these things. That's not what makes religions interesting, and it's not what any religious, truly religious person thinks is at the heart of their religion. But Dharma is your sacred duty. Don't lie. Don't steal. Um, don't do harm. These sorts of things. You do your Dharma. You meditate. You build up good karma, and over time you advance. Uh, you, you you come back into to better and better lives, and by better I don't mean richer. I mean more spiritual, more in tune with um, with uh, ultimate reality. And the goal is to finally someday be liberated from this cycle of death and rebirth, so that you can experience what Hindus call moksha, which is uh, just the word for freedom. And what moksha is, is finally liberation from the physical world, where your soul is free to be absorbed back into uh, Brahman, which is the word for the, the ultimate divine consciousness, the word for God. And you, you escape this physical world, and, and like a drop of water into a bucket, you're absorbed back into this one huge universal reality. That's kind of the... the um, in, in, it's, it's way more. It's way more complicated than that. But in a slimmed down sort of version, that's kind of what's going on with uh, with Hinduism. What Hindus Hindus basically believe. Well, in that slimmed down sort of version, I did a little reading on this subject. Not nearly enough to uh, give me any clarity. Actually, I think I was more confused. One article said that interpreters of Hinduism may see it as monotheistic. Others may see it as polytheistic. Still, others uh, interpretations that are pantheistic or even atheistic. It's like, what do we have here? I was left with the feeling that Hinduism is just all over the board and, and can pretty much be whatever you want it to be. Are these correct descriptions of Hinduism or did I reference a bad article? <laughs> they're getting kind of close to it, but like as a Westerner, Westerners don't know what to make of it, you know? And so they're like, well, it's just kind of pluralistic, whatever you want it to be. It's actually the problem that we have as Westerners, though, is that Hinduism just doesn't fit into our categories. 
So if you talk to a Christian, if you talk to a Jew, if you talk to a Muslim, uh, if you talk to an atheist and you say, do you believe in God? All of them have the same sort of thing in mind, this person who's kind of in charge and runs the universe. Whether they're a devout religious person or an atheist, a devout atheist, they think we in the West, we think of God as a person. Um, it's not that easy. In Hinduism, um, there's no, it's, it's not like that at all. There isn't a one supreme person. Instead, what you have is, is you have a God, capital G, I'll explain that in a minute, and then you have many gods, lowercase g, gods and goddesses. The God, the capital G God, so if you listen to, um, uh, you, you know, uh, you mentioned the Beatles earlier, if you listen to George Harrison sing about God, he doesn't mean a person. He means uh, Brahman, which is a, a universal force. It's not personal. It doesn't have thoughts and feelings. It's just the force that lives in in everything and moves everything. Star Wars? Actually, Star Wars is built on a Hindu cosmology. And so if that helps people think about Hinduism, then that's the, then the, then you know go for it. Obviously, George Lucas he tinkers around with it a little bit, but but fundamentally this force that lives and breathes and moves through everything, which can be accessed by yogis or by Jedi's in the Star Wars universe, is this is what Hinduism is. And it's not moral. It's it's um, it's pantheistic, which th this is one of my problems with Hinduism. If I can make a little detour here, is that in, in a pantheistic religion, there's no good explanation for what evil is. Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. You only think that Luke Skywalker is a good guy and Darth Vader is a bad guy because you're a Christian. But in a pantheistic world, and in, um, in a pantheistic world, there is no good or bad. The force is not. It can be the force. Star Wars. Uh, sorry, Darth Vader uses the force just like Yoda does. It's the force doesn't care. The force is is amoral and impersonal. It's just there to be accessed, and it's the goal that you long to be united with once you've earned enough dharma to be united back into um, to achieve moksha. That's not you don't pray to you don't pray to Brahman. He, he, it's, it's not a he or a she. It, it doesn't hear you. That's God. It's impersonal and pantheistic and universal. Now, there's gods and goddesses like Brahman, uh, Brahma, the god who created the world, or Vishnu, or Shiva, or Ganesha. But they aren't almighty. They aren't all powerful. They're just like you and me, but on steroids. Um, they're fickle. They have thoughts and Sounds feelings. Sounds like Roman that and Greek gods. Yes, and yeah, very, very much so. Like Mesopotamian gods or Egyptian uh, gods and goddesses. Yep. And so there's really no, there's no analog for the Christian God, one person who who's in charge of everything. There's an impersonal force, and then there's smaller, finite, powerful lowercase g, like I said, gods and goddesses. And so it's very confusing for a Westerner to think of. It's just a completely different worldview. And so that adds that adds to the confusion of what it is. But that's basically the, their view of gods. So what would you say to somebody who is listening to us right now who uh, maybe is put out with his or her Christian experience, just Christianity just doesn't seem to be getting it done, or has grown up in a kind of a a superficial Christianity, call themselves a Christian, but didn't really know why. And this person is listening to you and their religious 
uh, funny bone is being tickled here. It's like, Hey, that's, that sounds kind of interesting. I think I'm going to check that out. Maybe that's, maybe that's where I should be instead of where I have been. And we have inadvertently sent somebody on the path to, uh, to a, a fine Hindu experience. Are you troubled by that? You asked me this earlier. No, I'm not at all. The Holy Spirit uses God's word. There's nothing. Hinduism has many valuable things, many true things, but Hinduism, we, and we talked about this when we talked about Buddhism, Hinduism doesn't pay out on what it offers. Does Hinduism have false things? Absolutely. Absolutely, of course. Things that are incorrect and dangerous? Yeah. Well, I mean, for, for instance, their view of God. Uh, is, there, is God an impersonal, powerful force? No. It's not it, that that's not the case. I mean, one way you can tell is what I, what I just said is that if if it is true that Brahman, the universal divine force, is the ultimate being, then our definitions of good and evil are nonsensical. Good is whoever can use whoever connects with Brahman better, and yet Hindus insist that there is a morality that the Dharma includes things like be kind, uh, be honest. And where do they get that from? Well, they get that because we're made in God's image, every single one of us. It is programmed into us as reflectors of God's character. So that sensitivity is not necessarily a Hindu thing. It's just a human thing. It's is a human thing. Now, you can deny it. I mean, obviously, we, we uh, you know. Uh, we can be bad. Yes. And, and C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. Fairness is something that's built into us as image bearers of God. Um the reason why Hindus believe in fairness is because they're image bearers of God. Individual humans can be unfair. We always are. However, I'm very apt and skilled in seeing unfairness by other people towards myself. I don't see it in myself because, again, I'm an image bearer of God, but I'm terribly broken by the fall. See, Christianity gets at both of these things, that there's something broken in all of us because we've rebelled against God. But there's also something beautiful and noble about us because we're made in God's image. This is complete nonsense if Brahman is the one individual force. Now, there's lots of good things I can learn from Hinduism, but Christianity pays out on those. It finally explains, and I know we've talked about this in here before. I told you earlier that one of the things I like about Hinduism is it's a constant reminder to me that there's more to life than this physical world. Hinduism itself needs a similar reminder that the physical world is actually beautiful, that God created this universe and that God created the stars and the moon and God created the squirrels and the trees and God created my body because he loves it and he, he, he has deep value to him. And so to ignore that would be to ignore one of God's good gifts. And there's something about we as humans, um, you know, so what is it that you need? Do you need physical healing? Do you need help with your relationships with your fellow human beings? Christianity says that's important. We can help you. Like the, the, God is here to fix those things. Hinduism doesn't have a mechanism for that, a, a true mechanism for that outside of like, we can help you with those things by teaching you to escape those things via meditation, doing your dharma, and hopefully someday achieving moksha. Hinduism needs a reminder, though, that it needs this reminder from Christianity that the physical world is good and that our bodies matter and that relationships matter and that um, so, so 
Christianity is the one worldview and religion that can grapple both with the physicality of the universe and with the spirituality of the universe. Western materialism doesn't doesn't get the spirituality. Eastern Eastern spiritualism doesn't get the physicality. Christianity, though, gets both. And so that's why I'm always coming back to Christianity. If somebody says to me, man, Hinduism sounds good. Maybe I should maybe maybe that's the way I should go. I would say, what is it that sounds good? And remind them that actually Christianity pays out on this. But you're going to miss out on this other thing. And at some point, you're going to want to come back and be like, well, now I'm missing out on like the, the, the earthiness of Christianity, the physicality of it. Christianity is the one thing. I'm not nervous at all about people being attracted to other religions or philosophies because Christianity is the one that Well, sure, you're a bring-it-on guy. Uh, you're the exception, not the rule. Most of us, I think, are intimidated by that moment. Let's just say that um, – let's say you're a big baseball fan. You know baseball. You know the game. You know the professional teams. You know who's doing what in the standings. And you get on an airplane and you're sitting next to a person who who has as much love for gardening as you do for baseball. And so you strike up a little conversation. Your friend finds out that you love baseball. You find out that he or she loves gardening. And then the conversation's over in about three minutes because there's just no overlap. That's kind of how this feels to me in our discussion about Christianity and Hinduism. I don't even know how a person could have an exchange on on that level because it almost seems like there's almost nothing in common. Sure, there's spirituality and sure, there's there are views on physicality, but from being a practitioner of either one, I, there's doesn't seem to be any overlap. So if you were going to take the bold step and try to evangelize your Hindu friend on the airplane— where would you start? How would you progress? If Christianity is a hobby like baseball fandom or gardening, then you're right. At some point, you're just like, well, this is my hobby, and I, they're not interested. You think there are Christians who have Christianity as a hobby? Oh, yeah, for sure. Or oh, yeah. it's, Like I've said, said before, it's many Christians, including myself sometimes, to be honest with you, we think of Christianity as an app on our phone. Well, you mean all of us, to be honest. Yes, yeah. yeah. Instead of the operating system. See, if Christianity is real, if if the Bible tells the story of everything, I don't mean every detail, but the story of the entire universe, if if God is a human being who's come to live amongst us, then Christianity is about everything. There's nothing that can there's nothing that it doesn't have anything to do with. Money, relationships, gardening, baseball, everything. And so there's nothing that anybody can talk about that I can be like, well, I guess Christianity doesn't have anything to do with that. No, Christianity, if God is real, then he has to do with everything. He's made everything. And so I'm never worried about there being a, a lack of overlap. Everybody's deepest held fears and dreams are met at the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that anybody can say that I can be, that, that I would ever be like, oh, well, Jesus isn't for this person. Because if Jesus is God and Jesus is man, then he's for everybody. So you mentioned something before that I think is very important, but I'm not sure how I would implement it if I were in that situation. And that is that the one advantage I believe that you have or I would have in that situation is that the word of God 
the Word of God, Jesus is embedded in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the Word of God. So that if you were in a conversation on an airplane and you had an opportunity to, quote unquote, evangelize, you'd want to use the Word of God. But you can't just pull up your Word of God rifle and start firing, you know, First John, Matthew, Nehemiah. You're not going to do that because I don't think, are you? Because no, no you're not. So how do you introduce the Word of God into the conversation without just beating up your uh, new friend with Scripture references? Well, Was that a fair question? You know, that's totally fair. I I would say this is like, um, one thing is that I I don't, airplane conversations, they're hard. Pick pick your context, whatever it is. Maybe that's a bad this. No, no, no. I, I, yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's not bad, but. Uh, this is more helpful over the course of time as you're speaking with somebody and befriending somebody. Um, you don't need to quote the Bible. I, when I say quote the Bible, you don't need to be like, you know, as the Gospel of John says, but you can speak the Bible as a part of your every normal, normal everyday language. So, you know, if, if I'm talking to, I, I don't know, if I'm talking to a Hindu and we're discussing the nature of God and, um, and I, I, I'll ask, you know, so when you say God right now, do you mean like individual gods or do you mean Brahman? And if they say Brahman, I can start talking about, yeah, in Christianity, our God became human. And I'm, I'm, I'm quoting roughly John chapter one. And, um, uh, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying as the word of God says, but to to speak about the God who became a human being to become like us is is inserting scripture into the conversation, is inserting God's word in the conversation. I'm confident that he's going to use that however he wants to use it, however he wants to use it. So you mentioned that you have taught a class at the local community college on world religions. And I would assume, since that's a public institution, that you have to be careful so as to not use that to proselytize. You have to teach the the uh, curriculum of the course. Does it happen? Has it ever happened where somebody in the class is a Hindu or is a Buddhist or something other than a Christian who comes to you outside of the classroom setting and says, I'd like to talk more about this? Because most of us don't have that kind of experience. Most of us are operating within a kind of a tight circle where we don't have Hindu friends or Buddhist friends. But does, has that happened to you since you're teaching this class? And I suppose it's possible that it could happen. Um, I've had um, a handful of uh, Muslim and Hindu students in my class. Um, none of them have ever come up to me afterwards and said, can we talk? But I would say the vast majority of my students don't come up and say, can we talk? Um, some do, some do, and they don't, they they hardly don't ever say like, Hey, can I, can I speak with you sometime? It's usually just like walking out to the parking lot after the class and they'll say, well, this is interesting. What do you think about this? And well, this is what I think. And and I'll talk to them about what I think. I don't ever remember having a conversation like that with a, um, with a a Hindu student, um, probably because there's just not, I've just not had my, my ratio of Hindu students to secular students. I'll say has been pretty small, but I, I would be fully prepared to talk about 
Jesus. And, and you're right, I don't proselytize when, when I'm there in the sense of like I, you know, I, ha- I have an altar call where I invite people to believe in Jesus. I don't have to. The Holy Spirit does that. I, I read this. I, I read, I, like I said, I read from the Vedas, the Hindu sacred scripture. Um, I also read the Christian story of the resurrection of Jesus. Every time I've taught the class, I've read that out loud. Um, and then let the Holy Spirit take care of it. There's uh, Speaking of Hindus, w- William Carey, um, Baptist missionary in the 1800s, uh, the father of modern missions, some call him, he went to India to preach the gospel. The first thing he did was he translated the Hindu Vedas from their old ancient kind of not well-known language into the common language of the people that day. And the reason why is because he wanted them to see, this is what your religion teaches. Completely confident that when he translated the Old and New Testament, that the Holy Spirit would use that. So not scared at all of that. And we shouldn't be scared. A lot of times we're scared because there's a couple of reasons why we're scared. One is we're scared that we might be wrong. We're scared of the truth. We're scared that we might find out that Christianity is not true. Uh, another reason to be scared is we don't really know what we believe. We're Christians, but kind of in name only. And so we have this vague sense Jesus is important. We believe in him. We're tr- truly Christians, but we don't really know what, what we believe or why we believe it. Those are things that are easily accessible to any normal Christian is to be confident that truth is important and that um, that the Bible gives us truth and to know the basics of our faith. If that's the case, we can talk to anybody, talk to anybody and not be scared at all. As long as we're willing to say truth is important. And if I don't understand something or I don't know something to say, I don't understand this or I don't know, or I have to think more about this. But other than that, we shouldn't be scared at all. The Holy Spirit's powerful and at work and we shouldn't be intimidated. We should be free to befriend people and listen to them and not be scared of what they believe and share with them what we believe and not be scared to share with them what we believe as well. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, somebody listening to us right now aspires, would like to be in the position that you just described, not intimidated, not afraid. Um, I'm assuming that in whatever setting it is, if you find yourself discussing religion with a Hindu or a Buddhist or a secularist, I suppose that you probably say, all right, it's just like a sports conversation, you know, in a sports bar. We're going to argue the this team versus this team. Most people go, yeah, they turn around, they face you, they bring it on. What you know? Tell me what you think. Not necessarily the case, maybe not even typically the case among Christians. It's like, oh no, this guy's a Hindu. He's like, oh, he's going to start talking to me about Hinduism, and I'm, oh no, let's. I got to get out of this conversation. Sounds like you're in the opposite camp. Sounds like you're in the, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about the comparisons between this religion and Christianity or whatever. So how does the person who would like to be in your shoes would like to have that kind of confidence, maybe even a Bible reader, but still hasn't gained that kind of confidence? How do they get there? Well, I um, people who I know who read the Bible, there's obviously there's uh, factors in here. Introversion, extroversion is a thing. I- I'm not always like super eager to have conversations w- with people. Classroom scenario, it's different. I've had lots of those conversations because 
I'm in there. They know me. I know them from the class. In terms of talking to strangers, I'm super uncomfortable with that. I don't know too many Bible readers who also are like, I don't, I, I don't want to do this. I mean, that's really the key is like if Christians would just start reading their own sacred scriptures, they'd be a lot better off. But we don't. We don't. We just say, oh, I'm a Christian. I don't, need, I don't need to do that. And then we're at a loss for how to grapple with these sorts of questions and how to have conversations with people. And I would just encourage Christian, the, the Christians who are listening, like, just be reading your Bible. It's a lot you can get from reading your Bible. I know we talked about this before, but like it's an important thing. We're told to be in the Word. And so when we do it, it's uh, very, very helpful. Give you a lot of confidence. The more you, the more you look, the, the, the more I talk to my friends, the more I know who they are, the more confident I am in describing them to other people, the more confident I am in having conversations with them. Christians, though, they don't, when we don't know God and we don't spend time with Him, we don't have the confidence to talk about Him with other people. So be in God's Word. Christians, be in God's Word. Be in God's Word. In Peter's first letter, he encouraged Christians to be ready to defend their Christian faith. We hope this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God will help equip you, should God open that door, to share your faith with a Hindu adherent. Thank you for listening to this program. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathen.